evening and welcome to our Wednesday night summer series. We're excited about uh, tonight. We are uh, getting uh, going with our uh, great theme, uh, which is looking forward, conquered or conquer. As we uh, consider this recovery from the pandemic and continue to look ahead and to look forward, we uh, want to remind ourselves that we are going forward as conquerors and that we're not letting anything uh, conquer us because of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to have several uh, speakers uh, throughout the summer. As you know, we had a singing night last week, which was wonderful, led uh, by some of our guys and several of our young men who did an outstanding job. And uh, we are going to be live streaming these, so hello to everyone watching us through the magic and marvel of technology. I appreciate your watching, whether you're watching live or uh, a later date. We're grateful for that. We'll be live streaming the Wednesday nights when we have speakers. We won't live stream our singing nights. And uh, so upcoming, we have Chris White next week speaking on Moses, and then Davey Carter on June the 23rd on Gideon and Jerry Savage from the Sulphur Springs, uh, from the church in Sulphur Springs. He'll be speaking on June 30th on Ezra. And so we're, we're excited about all of that. Uh, you'll have to bear with the speaker tonight. It's going to be kind of iffy. We're not sure that we'll invite him back or not. We'll just see how he does. Um, uh, we do want everyone to know that we had a food truck tonight. If you are a part of that, then great. Uh, we're not going to do that every week, but we're going to do that a couple of times a month. And tonight, Lupita's was there. We had a lot of folks that were over there for that, and hopefully you'll be able to participate in that the next time around. Uh, that'll be uh, a, a great, great thing and a great, great help to us as we try to get these Wednesday nights going again. Uh, on our app is our uh, latest updates for our prayer list. We want to continue to remember Charles Starr as he recovers from having, uh, I believe, five stints over two weeks put in. Uh, recently, but he seems to be doing well at home, and others are there. Talk to Evelyn Muncie. Evelyn and Kenneth are here tonight, so be sure and say hello to them. Uh, Evelyn got the call from the doctor's office yesterday, and they are going to stay with Plan A, which was radiation, and so they're not planning on doing any more uh, treatment on her than that, and so we're grateful uh, for that good news. Want to continue to remember all of them. Want to continue to remember... Uh, our youth minister search process, which continues to go well, and certainly these next couple of weeks are, will be significant uh, in that process. Uh, it's a great opportunity tonight for me to share uh, the wonderful story of Esther, and I'm looking forward to that. Michael will be leading us in a couple of songs, and in between those two songs, our Donnie Carnathan will be leading us in prayer. And then after I'm finished with our uh, message about Esther, then uh, I'll close this out with prayer. Michael. Great, let's all sing together. Lord, you are more precious.
Gracious Father, we thank you so much for today. Thank you for the sunshine. Thank you for the storms, the rain you have brought us. We just pray for the safety of those who were involved in that, those who were caught in the heavier storms, tornadoes, and always we just pray for lack of damage and protection of life. We thank you for our first responders and uh, what would we do without them. Thank you so much. Father, we thank you for, for who you are and the way you work within us, the way you answered prayers. We have, we have seen that so many times over the years here at West Irwin. You have constantly provided for us whatever we need you bring to us, and many times you have brought in abundance, and for that we thank you. We're so grateful for, for those that are here that have been through surgeries and been through medical procedures that you have brought back to us, and we pray for those who are still at home and still in the hospital. Father, we look forward to tonight, another time to look in your word, and two great, great characters, Esther and Mordecai, and what a great story of love, a great story of family, a great story of courage, and a great story of deceit and cowardice and selfishness. Be with Bill as he brings us this lesson, and uh, more importantly, be with us as we hear it. And may we apply it to us, may we soften our hearts and let the word work on us. And for that word, we thank you so much for it. It has endured over the years. It has provided guidance for, for numerous people. And Father, let us ever, ever hold true to that word and be your servants. You are a great God and we love you so much. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's sing together. In heavenly armor will enter the land.
as you know, our theme for this summer is looking forward, conquered or conqueror. Truly, the battle does belong to the Lord. And tonight, I am very blessed to be able to share with you the first of the messages. Last night, we began our series with a singing night. And tonight, we uh, begin our speaker series with this message about Esther, time to be a conqueror. I want us to read, first of all, the passage from Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 39, because this passage gives us our theme, looking forward, conquered or conqueror. This very familiar, very triumphant passage at the end of Romans chapter 8, that great, great chapter, uh, my favorite chapter in the Bible. Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 37, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And so as we look forward, we realize there are some questions that are unanswered. There are some battles to still be fought. There are some hills to still be climbed. But we look forward with great confidence. We look forward as conquerors, not as the conquered, because Jesus has won the battle for us. The battle truly does belong to the Lord, and he has already brought us the victory. And so as we go through this summer series, we're going to have several speakers that come and share about some of those great stories of conquerors in the name of God that we find in the pages of the Old Testament and the New Testament. Tonight, we'll look into the Old Testament. One of the conquerors for God's people near the end of the Old Testament time, not the books, but the end of the Old Testament period, is Esther. And her story is so wonderful, so triumphant, that even still today, we have uh, baby girls that take the name Esther. It's just a wonderful, wonderful statement. Perhaps you're familiar with this uh, story you're likely going to recognize a few of the passages, especially one that we'll read later from Esther chapter 4. But I like this story, which uses a little bit of a twist on that part of the story of Esther. Um, This woman writes, The youth in my church had been studying the book of Esther. I knew my son had been paying attention when we had Brussels sprouts for supper. Spearing one and looking at it distastefully, He placed it in his mouth saying, if I perish, I perish. (laughs) Well, we'll come back to that statement in a more serious vein than regarding Brussels sprouts. But I think he was listening because that is an important statement in the story of Esther. But before we get to her story, let's look at the important events that lead up to her time in biblical history. Uh, I hope that you got an outline if you're here today. Uh, If you did not get an outline, raise your hand and we'll get a volunteer. Everybody have one? Okay, they were there. Uh, Let's see, Brian, would you mind going to the back and bringing up a couple of outlines? And I know we have a few folks that are 
that may, uh, may be out of one. So um, we printed up plenty, so let's use them up. And, uh, uh, and that will help you, especially in this first part. Because this first part, if you need one of these outlines, just raise your hand. Brian's got some. Brother Cobb has some on the other side. Um, <clears throat> this first part is especially important uh, to have that outline because uh, it's a little bit detailed. It's a little bit from the historical uh, perspective. And so uh, it, we won't get too lost in it, I hope, uh, but we will spend uh, some time looking at the setting, the historical context of the book of Esther. Got a few more up here, up at the front to Brian and some on the other side. You didn't know you were going to have to work, you guys, did you, tonight? Uh, I'd say you're working for your supper, but I didn't feed you, so I don't know. I don't know. We have a couple more back to the left there, Brian. Good. Thanks, Brother Cobb. Thanks, Brian. I love volunteers. I love people who say yes. What a great blessing. So let's talk for a moment about the setting of Esther, the historical setting. Let's get a feel for what's going on in history at the time because it is something that is absolutely vital in this story. A little bit of background, first of all. In the 8th century BC and 721, the Assyrians, the, the people of Assyria, were the world power, and they took the northern kingdom of Israel into exile. Uh, remember, under the united kingdom of King Saul, David, and Solomon, the kingdom was united, and then King Solomon's son, Rehoboam, did not take the good advice of his elders, but rather took the advice of his friends, and it ended up splitting the kingdom in half. The northern kingdom of Israel with its capital Samaria and the southern kingdom of Judah, faithful to the line of King David with its capital of Jerusalem, with the temple of Solomon there. Well, that went on for quite some time, a couple of hundred years plus. And then you have the Assyrians taking the northern kingdom of Israel into exile, threatening the southern kingdom. But because of the faithfulness of King Hezekiah and because of the strong preaching of men like Isaiah, uh, there was a, a way for the Israelites to maintain their independence in the southern kingdom, and they defeated uh, the Assyrians through the power of the Lord, but only for a while. Because then at the beginning of the 6th century BC, the ending of the 7th and the beginning of the 6th, um, you had the Babylonians that came and took the southern kingdom of Judah into captivity. They did that in three different stages. Uh, they did that in the first stage where they took some of the best of the best, uh, including Daniel and his three friends uh, into captivity in Babylon. Then they took uh, another group, and then finally, in 586 B.C., they breached the walls and they destroyed Solomon's grand temple and uh, took the rest of the Jews into captivity uh, in 586 B.C. And that went on, of course, for a few decades. And then in 536, uh, the Persians were the new power. They had, uh, the Babylonians had lost their power the Medes and the Persians were in control now of the world empires, and King Cyrus had a different take on how to lead and how to rule. The others said, what we want to do to make sure that these people are always faithful to us and obedient to us, uh, we're going to transplant them, take them away from their homeland so they don't feel that sense of patriotism from being in their homeland. Well, King Cyrus had a different view. His view was, if we let everybody go home and let them live in their homeland, they will continue to serve us. And uh, that was his idea. And so in Ezra chapter 1, we read about that decree that King Cyrus had that related to the Jews, encouraging anyone who wanted to go back 
uh, to the land of Israel and uh, rebuild their homeland. And as you know, many, many did. Um, In 516 BC, the temple is finally completed. There was a lot of years there where there was a lull, but at the preaching of uh, Haggai and Zechariah and the leadership of Zerubbabel, who had royal blood, he was a descendant of King David, and also Joshua the priest, they were able to complete the temple. And that brings us to 480 BC. And that's the time of Esther, the queen of Persia, reigning in Susa. And we'll say a little bit more about that in just a moment. But briefly, what happens from here is Ezra comes, a priest who reforms some of the life and worship of the people that are restoring things in uh, the Jerusalem and the surrounding areas. In 445 BC, Nehemiah comes and rebuilds the walls, of course. And then in 435 BC, we have the end of the Old Testament period with the preaching of Malachi. The king at the time of Queen Esther is named Xerxes, also called Ahasuerus. He was a Persian king, and he reigned from 486 to 465 BC. Likely, this story of Esther takes place within the first five or ten years of that period, around 480 BC. The ancient Greek writer Herodotus, in his histories, which was uh, written in 430 BC, corroborates, actually, some of the story of the book of Esther. So that's the setting. That's where we are. Let's get to the story, shall we? It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. And I never say that, right? This is my favorite chapter. This is my favorite book. This is my favorite story. And I hardly ever say that, but it's the truth with Esther. It's a wonderful, wonderful story. So let's tell a little bit about the story of Esther. And it involves, before we get to Esther and Mordecai, her cousin, um, we, uh, we have the story of, of the Persians there in Susa with King Xerxes and his queen, whose name was Vashti. And for six months, there was a a big celebration, probably related to the new king coming to power, perhaps. He'd only been reigning for a few years. Um, And and so they had six months of celebration. And then after that six months of celebration, they had another week (laughs) of, of partying. Some of you would really like Uh, the Persians, I think, but they had another week. And not only did the king have his friends and everyone over, the queen did as well. And this was one of those deals where the king said, it's open bar. He said, I want you to know, I've I've told everyone, all of the cupbearers, all the wineries, uh, bring it. And so that was the mood of the party for those seven days. And Vashti had her friends over as well. Well, at the end of that time period, the king calls on his attendants and says, go get my queen. I want to show her off a little bit to my buddies. Well, as you would figure, that didn't go over so well with Queen Vashti. In in Esther chapter 1, verse 12, when the attendants delivered the king's command, Queen Vashti refused to come. And we all want to say, you go, girl. (laughs) Well done. Well, sometimes there are consequences, as we're going to find a little bit later. Uh, When she did that, the king became furious and burned with anger. And so he calls his attendants together and he says, look, what are we going to do about this? What what should we do? Uh, Verse 15, according to the law, what must be done to Queen Vashti? 
And so they talk about that for a little bit. And then we read this in verse 16. Then Mamukin, one of the attendants of the king, replied, in the presence of the king and the nobles, you ladies are going to love this, Queen Vashti has done wrong, not only against the king, but also against all the nobles and the peoples of the provinces of King Xerxes. For the queen's conduct will become known to all the women. And so they will despise their husbands and say, King Xerxes commanded Queen Vashti to be brought before him, but she wouldn't come. That very day, the Persian and Median women of the nobility who have heard about the queen's conduct will respond to all the king's nobles in the same way. There will be no end of disrespect and discord. Oh my, now you've done it. Now you've done it. You've gone and started the women's liberation movement in fifth century Persia. And the men are not going to just stand idly by and let that thing get going. Therefore, verse 19, I've got this great idea, he says. If it pleases the king, let him issue a royal decree and let it be written in the laws of Persia and Media that cannot be repealed, that Vashti is never again to enter the presence of King Xerxes. Also let the king give her royal position to someone else who is better than she. So what happens? Vashti got fired. Apparently you can fire the queen because she just got fired. And he suggests, look, let's find somebody else. There, there are a whole bunch of women that would gladly take over her spot and not be so disrespectful to the queen, to the king, and not be such a bad example to my wife. That's really what they were thinking, uh, though they didn't say that out loud. And so in chapter 2, that's exactly what they do. And the king has a, a national beauty pageant where all of the young maidens are called to come uh, to Susa and to spend time with those who would groom them and then be presented to the king. And the king was the only judge. <laughs> the king would be able to say, this is my new queen after seeing all of that. Well, this is when we get introduced to Mordecai and Esther. Uh, Mordecai, it seems, is somewhat of a guardian of Esther. It, it, it describes them as cousins. Uh, she was uh, the daughter of his uncle. Uh, but now they're going to get in this mix. And Esther becomes one of that group of women who are being considered by the king. Um, and so uh, Mordecai is very concerned about that. And they had to compete long, uh, a long time in preparation and then going before the king himself. And this is what was all going on. But verses 10 and 11 of chapter 2 give us a little bit of insight into why Esther was able to do this. Esther had not revealed her nationality and family background, Esther 2 verse 10, because Mordecai had forbidden her to do so. Every day he walked back and forth near the courtyard of the harem to find out how Esther was and what was happening to her. He was worried. He was worried, and rightly so, rightly so. But he had told her, don't tell them that you're a Jew. Don't, don't tell them your ancestry. You just go in there and you, and you see if the Lord has something in mind here. I'm sure that's what Mordecai was thinking. And so she does, and she's in the mix. And then we read in verses 17 and 18 of chapter 2, Now the king was attracted to Esther more than to any of the other women, and she won his favor and approval more than any of the other virgins. So he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen 
instead of Vashti. And the king gave a great banquet, Esther's banquet, for all his nobles and officials. He proclaimed a holiday throughout the provinces and distributed gifts with royal liberality. He was happy. He was happy. He had found his queen. Well, in chapter 3, well, before we get to chapter 3, there's an incident that happens at the end of chapter 2 that is important to the story. Uh, Here, Mordecai, remember, he's kind of around. He doesn't go into the capital uh, complex, but he's around the gates, and he's listening to make sure that uh, Esther is okay. And while he's there, he hears a couple of men, servants of the king, who are upset at him, planning uh, to uh, take him out. And so Mordecai sends word to Esther and says, look, there's these two guys, they're planning a conspiracy, you need to tell the king. And so they do, and these men are caught, and their plans are foiled. And then that seems to be the end of it, but only for a while. We'll come back to that. In chapter 3, we're introduced to the villain of the story. Donnie, in his wonderful prayer earlier, mentioned that this is a story of great courage, great bravery, great faithfulness, and also somebody that acts in the height of selfishness. And that is Haman. He is the bad guy in this story. Chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. After these events, King Xerxes honored Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, elevating him and giving him a seat of honor higher than all of the other nobles. All the royal officials at the king's gate knelt down and paid honor to Haman, for the king had commanded this concerning him. But Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor. Mordecai was a faithful Jew. You don't worship anybody but the Lord God. And that was Mordecai's thinking. And so he refused to do that. Everyone else did, not Mordecai. And this infuriated Haman. They came to Mordecai and they said, what are you doing? Why why are you doing this? In verses 3 and 4. And day after day they tried to get him to comply and he would not. And so they finally told Haman, about Mordecai's uh, uh, conviction. And they also told him that he was a Jew. And so Esther 3, verses 5 and 6. When Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor, he was enraged. Yet having learned what Mordecai's, who Mordecai's people were, he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. He wanted to annihilate them. He wanted to take out all of the Jews, not just Mordecai, but his whole people. He wanted to commit genocide. Well, as you would know, that's not going to go very well with Mordecai and the Jews, but this is a very powerful man, and he's got the ear of the king. So verse 7 of chapter 3, in the 12th year of King Xerxes, in the first month, the month of Nisan, the pur, P-U-R, that is the lot, was cast in the presence of Haman to select a day and month. And so here's what they did. They rolled the dice, the pure or the purer. However they would do that, when they would, uh, almost like the Urim and Thummim that we read about in the Old Testament, when they were trying to know what the Lord's will is, that's pretty much what they're doing here. And they take that pur, that purim, and they decide, okay, this is what day we'll do this on. What exactly were they going to do? Well, they get the king to sign a decree and make an edict that says on that day, 
that was selected through the purine, they will annihilate the Jews. It will be legal across the empire to kill any Jew. So in chapter 4, Mordecai hears about this. And he begins to mourn. And all of the Israelites are mourning. They're in sackcloth and ashes. They're wailing. They're crying. They're mourning. And Esther hears about Mordecai. And she sends her attendants out to say, what, what's going on? What's the matter? Why are you acting like this? And Mordecai sends word back to Esther and tells her of everything, including the text of the edict that the king has signed. And he tells her, you've got to act. You've got to do something. You're the queen. Well, Esther sends these words back to Mordecai in Esther 4, beginning at verse 9. Hathak went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, all the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death with one exception, unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. He's the king. You don't just walk in. You don't just storm in on the king and say, hey, how's it going today? The king has to summon you. And Esther says, it's been a month since I've been summoned. I can't just walk in on the king. What happens when you just walk in on the king? Well, you're put to death. You're put to death. With one exception, if the king lowers his scepter and accepts your presence, then your life is spared. What Mordecai is asking her to do is risk her life. And that brings us to Mordecai's response. And it's this incredible passage in Esther chapter 4, beginning at verse 12. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you're in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. One of the great, great passages in the Bible, Old and New Testament, Esther 4, verse 14. Who knows, but that you are right where you are, right at this very time for such a time as this. Esther, this is your moment. Now we're beginning to see why Queen Vashti did what she did, why the king responded the way he did, why there was this great beauty pageant, why you were the one that was selected. God has you right where you are, Esther, for this very moment, for such a time as this. And to Esther's credit, this woman agrees. Verse 15 of Esther 4, Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa, and fast for me. 
Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. We've read the whole story. We know how it turns out. But at this moment in Esther's life, at this moment in Mordecai's life, they did not know. For all they knew, the king would have his attendants come in and take her life. And so she says, I will go. I will go. And if I perish, I perish. Well, we keep reading through the book of Esther. In chapter 5, Esther goes to the king. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the hall facing the entrance. When he saw Queen Esther, this is the moment where she would live or die. When the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, he was pleased with her and held out to her the gold scepter that was in his hand. So Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. And the king says, what do you want, my queen? I'll give you everything up to half of my kingdom. And Esther says, well, I want you and Haman to come to a banquet that I've prepared tonight. And so the king, of course, says, absolutely. And he goes and calls for Haman, and they go before the queen. And it's interesting that at this first banquet, he asks again, what is your request? And she says, well, I want you and Haman to come back tomorrow night for another banquet that I'll prepare. And I'm not sure why she did that. I'm not sure if she was afraid, if she was thinking we need more time to pray about this. Maybe God will bring some other way. I don't know. Maybe that was her plan all along. I don't know. But she says, I want you and Haman to come back tomorrow. And then, of course, Haman goes home and he's furious because in spite of how wonderful his life is right now, private dinner with the king and queen, when he walks by Mordecai, there's Mordecai. Not kneeling at all. And he's furious and he goes home and he talks to his wife and his friends. And his wife says, look, you're, you're special. You've got a, the ear of the king and queen. Build some gallows and hang him on him. Impale him on them. And so that's what they decide to do. And that brings us to chapter 6. And in chapter 6, the king can't sleep. Xerxes has a bad case of insomnia. And because the internet wasn't working that night, he couldn't get on the archives and listen to some of Bill's sermons and go right to sleep. So he had to go to plan B, which was, let's get out the annals. Let's get out the records of all the history. And, and let me just do some reading. Surely that'll put me to sleep. And he comes to that story of when Mordecai saved the life of the king. And he calls it his attendants and he says, what was done? What was done for this guy? He saved my life. And they said, uh, nothing. And he says, well, something has to be done. And so he says, who's around? Who's in, the temp- who's in the courtyard? And they said, well, Haman is. And so he says, great, bring him in. And so Haman comes in before the king. And this is what the king says in Esther 6, beginning at verse 6. When Haman entered... Esther 6, 6, the king asked him, what should be done for the man the king delights to honor? (laughs) This question that Haman had dreamed of being asked by the king all his life, probably. When Haman entered, the king asked him, what should be done for the man who delights, who the king delights and wants to honor? Now Haman thought to himself, who is there that the king would rather honor than good old Haman here? 
And so he tells him his dream that he's always had. So he answered the king, for the man the king delights to honor, have them bring a royal robe. The king has worn and a horse the king has ridden, one with a royal crest placed on its head. Then let the robe and horse be entrusted to one of the king's most noble princes. Let them robe the man the king delights to honor and lead him on the horse through the city streets, proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. This thing that Haman had probably played over and over in his mind. Verse 10, go at once, the king commanded Haman, get the robe and the horse and do just as you have suggested for Mordecai the Jew, who sits at the king's gate. Do not neglect anything you have recommended. How Haman's heart must have sunk. And yet he did it because the king had ordered him to. And then he goes home with his face covered, his head covered, and he goes back and he tells them what's happened and and his wife and his friends tell him, you're done for. I mean, you know how politicians kind of distance themselves from somebody that all of used to be great and now the flash in the pan is out? That's what they do. It, it's over for you, I'm afraid. Well, then in chapter 7, the king and Haman go to Queen Esther's banquet that second night. And the king again asks her, what can be done? What do you want? And in chapter 7, verse 3, then Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor with you, your majesty, and if it pleases you, grant me my life. This is my petition. And spare my people. This is my request. For I and my people have been sold to be destroyed, killed, and annihilated. If we had merely been sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept quiet, because no such distress should, should justify disturbing the king. King Xerxes asked Queen Esther, who is he? Where is he? The man who has dared to do such a thing. Verse 6, Esther said, an adversary, an enemy, this vile Haman. Well, as you can bet, (laughs) Haman's heart sinks lower than it already was. The king leaves in a rage. Haman is begging at the queen's couch where she's reclining for his life. And the king walks in and says, really? You're attacking my wife now after all of this? And so he says, what what should we do with Haman? And someone says, well, you know, he's built a set of gallows that he was going to impale Mordecai on, the man who saved the king's life. And so sure enough, Haman is impaled on the gallows he had built for Mordecai. But we still have this problem of this decree. The Jews are sentenced to death. And the king can't rescind it. And so in chapter 8, he issues a second degree, giving the Jews permission to fight back. They can legally defend themselves. And as a result, there are many of the people, because the city was bewildered, they were confused as to what was going on here with that first decree. And now many of them sided with the Jews. And then in chapter 9, they have that time where that day comes that was selected by the poor and The people of God have a great, great victory. And because of the great victory over their enemies and the great deliverance of God, they say, we need to celebrate this. And they institute the festival of Purim, P-U-R-I-M, which is still followed today, two days in late February or early March. And it involves celebratory feasting, donating to charity, and reading the book of Esther. 
And some have said, well, I don't know about Esther. The name of God is nowhere to be found in the whole book. And that's true. But God and his work and his providence and his deliverance is everywhere. Everywhere. In chapter 10, there's a short epilogue describing the greatness of Mordecai. Mordecai has given Haman's position. And Mordecai the Jew, in verse 3, was second in rank to King Xerxes, preeminent among the Jews and held in high esteem by his many fellow Jews because he worked for the good of his people and spoke up for the welfare of all the Jews. Were it not for the faith and the courage of Mordecai and Esther, what would have happened? Mordecai said God would have delivered us through some other means, but it wouldn't have gone well for you. Well, some conclusions tonight and applications. The time to be a conqueror is now. This is our summer series, Thrust. The time to be a conqueror is now. Some things about that. First of all, life has its villains. Not just this story, not just other stories. We have our villains today, and it's more than just a pandemic and COVID-19. Even the normal villains that we all experience in this life. Life has its villains. There's no use denying that. We don't have to. It's acknowledged in all of Scripture. Second, we must open our eyes to the opportunities around us. In the midst of all the villains and all the difficulties, there are opportunities as well. Esther certainly saw that. Mordecai persuading Esther to go to the king, saving the king from the conspiracy. Esther risking her life to take advantage of that opportunity to save her people. We have opportunities today to offer help to people, to offer encouragement, to offer the gospel, the word of God that can save their souls, to offer a sense of calm and assurance and peace in a very difficult time. We may be the only ones that provide that for them. They're certainly not going to get it on the news. They're certainly not going to get it on social media. They need to get it from being around a person of faith, a Christian who trusts ultimately, completely in God, just as Esther did. Number three, we should see ourselves as part of God's plan. Instead of just wailing and griping about how bad things are, why don't you get on your knees and pray and ask God, what can I do to help? What's my part in this? You had a part for Mordecai, you had a part for Esther. What's my part? What's my role? Number four, doing the right thing sometimes has risks and consequences. Jesus said that. It's certainly true of Esther. There were great risks. Certainly true of others in in Scripture. Their stories, some of them are great successes like Daniel or his three friends. Others, not so much. The priests that were killed by King Saul in the days of King David in 1 Samuel 21 and 22. The apostles and others who suffered so much for the cause of Christ. Stephen, the first Christian martyr. James, the first apostle martyr. Doing the right thing sometimes has risks and consequences and living faithfully today is the same. There may be a price to pay. Are we willing to pay it? And we should be because of number five. Our God will deliver us. Our God will deliver us. And so our theme again this summer, looking forward, conquered or conqueror through the power of Jesus Christ and 
the great call of God, we can be more than conquerors through him who loved us. So as we close tonight, God put Esther in her time and place to be a conqueror. She was there for such a time as this. Like Esther, the same is true of us. He has done the same with us. He has put us in a time and place to be a conqueror. Like Esther, we choose to be conquered or conquered. It's up to us. It's our choice. And like Esther, God has called each of us to be a conqueror for such a time as this. Let's close with prayer. Father, we praise you as the great God of Esther, the great God who provided for his people, the great God who delivered them through this amazing and incredible woman, urged on by Mordecai, stepping out in faith, not knowing how the story would end, but knowing, Father, that this was where you had put her for that exact moment. Father, there's a lot of trouble. There's a lot of difficulty in our world today. We don't deny it. We acknowledge it. But Father, nor do we deny your power, nor do we deny the presence of your Holy Spirit, nor do we deny that Jesus, your son, promised that the gates of hell could not prevail against your church. So Father, as your children today, as your people today, every bit as much as Queen Esther and Mordecai, We call out to you, Father, to show us your plan. Show us our role. Give us the courage to stand up for you and for what is right for such a time as this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are dismissed.